Come on, come on, church. Man, man, it's already been an amazing Sunday already. Today is Sunday. What does that mean? It is absolutely our fun day. Man, today is like super fun days. We've got to watch people take their next step with Jesus Christ. Amen? Man, oh man. I just, uh, you know, one of the beautiful things for me this morning to witness both first service and this service was it wasn't me that was baptizing people. It was parents baptizing their children. It was friends baptizing their friends that they've been part of their life. They've been walking with them spiritually. And I love that because it doesn't have to be the pastor. It shows me that the church is investing in the lives of the people around them. And it's not just coming to Jesus, but it's walking with them. Come on, give it up to your church. Give it up. Absolutely, absolutely love that. Well, we're going to jump right into this morning. Open your Bibles or Bible apps, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13 this morning. If you grabbed an orange Bible on the way in, you'll find it on page 808. 808. And by the way, if you grabbed an orange Bible on the way in and you do not have a Bible of your own, please take that. We desire for you to have a copy of God's words in your hand. And if you walk by them on the way in and you don't have a Bible of your own, please grab one on the way out. We want you to have a copy of God's word in your hand. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, page 808. We'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, today we continue in our latest series titled Fast Forward. And listen, and I understand at times it may not seem this, but God is a God who plans. He, he is a planner. In fact, most times when things are going the way that we want, someone throws a verse out from Jeremiah 29, 11, where God is saying, for I know the what? Say it again. I know the what? The plans I have for you, declared the Lord. So it shows that God is a planner. Like he has things in place. From the beginning of all things to the end of all things, he has a plan. And that includes everything in between. You know, so he put his plan in motion at creation. And we'll see the fulfillment of his plan with a new heaven and a new earth at the end of all things. But until that takes place, you and I, we're sitting in the middle Wondering what's next. You know, there's something to come. There's more to come. And we are in the middle looking at the calendar events and saying, okay, God, what is next? You know, last week we kicked this whole thing off in motion, looking at the big picture of all things that God has planned. This is not Rich's plan. This is God's plan pulled from Scripture. You know, what does God say what's going to happen from this is the timeline from the beginning of all things to the end and everything amen amen eternity right this is what's going to happen and I see things like this and I shared with people last week or people shared with me saying Rich thank you for sharing this timeline because it helped me see or have an understanding what's going to happen or what has happened and what is to come and I when I see things like this it makes me think back to the days when I used to go to the malls and go to the shopping plazas. And I don't know if you know, I don't even know if they're still there because I don't go anymore. Uh, but they, they have those displays periodically throughout the mall. It kind of tells you where you are, right? You, you go, if you're like, okay, I want to get to, say, JCPenney's, and I want to get to that store. I want to go to um, Macy's or something like that. And so you go up to this, this display, and you look for it on a list of stores that you want to get to. Everybody with me know what I'm talking about, those displays? And so you identify the store you want to get to. Okay, hey, there it is. There's a store I want to get to. That is one crucial component to the process. There's another part. Do you know what that is? You got to know where you're at. 
Because sometimes you get twisted, you get those big balls, you have no idea where you're at. So what you do, you look over this map, you know where you want to go, and you find a star that marks where you're at, and you see these words, you are what? You are here. I think about this when it comes to God's timeline. What, where are we at? The star marks our location. All this is taking place, right? All the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and all this is taking place. Jesus came, and we are here, and all this is to come. See, we read last week that the Messiah has come. He came and lived a perfect life. He died the perfect sacrifice for the sin of all mankind on the cross. Hope was born when he conquered the grave through his resurrection. And everything we saw this morning, right, it was symbolized through baptism. That Jesus came, lived, and died, and rose again. We came, we're living, we died to ourselves, and we raised a new birth in Jesus Christ. One day we're going to physically die, and we're going to raise a new life and spend eternity with God. It symbolized all that through baptism. Speaking of his resurrection, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we are seven weeks away from Easter. Come on. Seven weeks away from Easter. Come on. Be a little bit excited with me this morning, friends. We're seven weeks away from Easter. We're celebrating the, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. We kick the whole thing off on Good Friday at 7 p.m., and then we have amazing three services on Sunday morning, uh, March 31st, 8, 9, 30, and 11. Now, so listen, I know the schools around this area have conveniently put spring break right around Easter. So you're tempted, you're going to be tempted to go away and be gone for a week and a half and, and not come back Right now, put in your calendar, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come back and worship Easter and the resurrection of my Lord and Savior with my church. You with me on that? All right. So that's coming up. After his resurrection, after Jesus rose from the grave, he went into heaven. He sat at the right hand of the Father, and he sent his Holy Spirit to the earth, right? And that was into the followers, those who believe in him. And that was the birth of the church. Now, we have been at this stage for almost 2,000 years. 2,000 years, we have been waiting for what's coming next. And you think, well, Rich, man, 2,000 years is a long, long time. Yeah, for you and I it is, but it fails in comparison with eternity, with God, what he sees our time. But when we look at the timeline, these are the events according to Scripture. And when we look at the events, we know there's something coming next. In fact, looking back the next week, if we talked about how no one knows when the next event will take place, that means it's imperative that we make it right with Jesus now. If no one knows when Jesus is coming back, and we said that Jesus is the only way to the Father to get to the end of all things, to be in the new heaven and a new earth, then we need to get it right with Jesus now. Come on. And that leads us to what's coming. I shared last week we're going to talk about the rapture and tribulation today. And this, we're going to get into the next events by looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. If your Bible, Bible apps, or you can watch along on the screen as we go through it. Look at verse 13. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. 
For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we also believe that God will bring with him Jesus with all those who have fallen asleep with him. Let's just stop right here. This is an amazing place for you and I to stop and reflect on the hope that we have with Jesus. Those who have died in Jesus will be with Jesus. That gives us great hope. See, I want to make sure I'm really clear about this. When Paul was saying those who sleep in death are falling asleep in him, they are not sleeping, okay? It's not like that when they died, they, when those in Jesus died, they're taking an, an internal nap. It's not happening. You know, uh, there's a theological theory out there that people believe that you go into what they call a soul sleep. So when you die, your soul sleeps until the rapture comes. Listen, I love naps. Ask my wife. If I don't get a nap on a Sunday afternoon, I'm a grumpy bear. I love naps, but I don't believe in this theory. I don't believe in this theory. I actually hold to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, where he says, We are confident, I say, that I would prefer to be away from the body and to be home with the Lord. What he's telling us, to be away from the body is to be present with Jesus. So when we die in Jesus, our soul goes to be with Jesus. Our bodies stay here, dust to dust, right? It, it decays, but our soul goes to be with Jesus. Verse 15, it says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left into the coming of the Lord, will certainly not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a voice of an archangel, with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, those who are still alive that are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's just stop right here. What we just read, friends, is the rapture. This is not the second coming of Christ that you may have heard. That happens later in the next level of events. When he comes down, his feet does not hit the ground like it will happen later. It doesn't split the Mount of Olives like it says it's going to happen later. This is Jesus coming down in the sky, and we go up to meet him and be with him and he takes us to be with him forever that's the rapture now the word rapture you will not find it in scripture the word rapture is a theological term taken from a latin word repio which means to take to seize and it's actually translated we just read in verse 17 to be caught up and what it's saying is those who are in Jesus, those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, made the Lord of their lives, they'll be taken away, they'll be taken up, they'll be caught up with Jesus in the sky. Now, as I read through these verses, uh, and I look at the timeline of what's coming, I come to a conclusion with this when it comes to the rapture. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the rapture is a continuation of God's grace plan. The rapture is a continuation of God's grace plan. We're going to work through that this morning. It is God working on our behalf, blessing us with something we don't deserve based on what is to come next. I mean, that's, that's what grace is, friends. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. 
Because what we deserve is death. What we deserve is separation. Because of our sin, because we have turned our back on God, But because we've repented, we've surrendered our lives to him, made a Lord of our lives, he gives his grace freely to us because he loves us. And I've shared this before. Maybe you've written it down before, but if not, write it down now. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It means we receive all the spiritual blessings from God through Jesus Christ. It started at salvation. It started at the moment we prayed and surrendered our lives to him. And it carries us through even to through the rapture. It's his grace plan. It's a continuation of his grace plan. Because at the rapture, there's reunion with Jesus. I just want to think about that for a second. I mean, think about that a second. If, if, could you just imagine what it would be like to be in the sky with Jesus? Listen, I've never seen Jesus. I love Jesus. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I try to live my life for Jesus, but I have never seen Jesus. And to understand that if Jesus was to come back right here, right now, that he would call me up to see him. I would see my Lord and Savior for the very first time. Someone shout hallelujah. Think about that. If he was to come right here, right now, you would see your Lord and Savior for the very first time. Oh my word. Not only with Jesus, but I am flying. Sorry. The dead in Christ will rise first, and the we who are still alive will come meet him in the air. That is the rapture. And it's a continuation of God's grace plan because he continues to pour into our lives because he loves us. It's also pretty cool because this is when we get our, 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 our new glorified bodies. If you, if, I mean, looking at that, you know, I need a new body. You look in the mirror and be like, yo, that could use something different. God's like, this is when it's going to happen. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. It talks about this. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that the flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash and a twinkling of an eye in the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the imperishable will be clothed by itself with the imperishable, and the mortality with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. And then where is the saying will come to be true? Death has been swallowed up in victory. Come on. Death has been swallowed in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The rapture is an amazing moment of time that we can't bypass because it's a continuation of God's grace working in our lives. He causes us up to be with him. He calls us up and he gives us glorified bodies. And sometimes I think about this, that I don't know what in the world. How is he going to do that? I mean, 
People are scattered all over the earth. They've been gone for a long time. Well, then I think about this. If God can create everything from nothing, he can bring our glorified bodies to meet our souls to be with him in the sky. You with me? It's his grace plan, a continuation of his grace plan, getting what we don't deserve, but because he loves us, he pours it out freely. The question I have to ask you this morning are you in it? Are you in the grace plan? Are you part of what God is doing now? Are you part of what he's going to be doing soon? The rapture is the only way for God to protect the church for the judgment that's going to come on earth. The rapture happens to take us out of harm's way. Many times we see this in Scripture, God pulling them out, the people who are walking rightly, his people out, so they don't hit the destruction that's coming. In fact, back in Genesis, there's two cities, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God saw the wickedness that was happening in this city. He says, I'm going to come down and I'm going to destroy these cities because of what they're doing. And then he looks down and he sees this guy named Lot. A guy, Lot was, who was living right with the Lord. He had a right relationship with God. And he sent two angels to come down. And he says, listen, listen, listen. What's coming? You don't want to be here. God is asking you and pulling you out. In fact, in Genesis chapter 19, verse 16, we read, when he, Lot, hesitated, the men, angels, grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. You see this image of God pulling someone out because he's going to bring destruction. And when they got out of the city, that's exactly what happened. Rain, fire from heaven, and destroy the two cities. Well, that's the same idea that happens with the church. So there's judgment coming, and God is pulling his church out. The continuation of his grace is to pull us out, not to be present for what's to come. In fact, Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 tells us this. Since you have kept my command and endured patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is coming to the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. That's the rapture. He says, I'm pulling you out. It's a continuation of my grace working in your life so you don't taste what's to come. And that's the tribulation. That's the tribulation. The second part of our conversation this morning. See, the tribulation is a continuation of God's fairness plan. The, the rapture is a continuation of his grace plan. The, the tribulation is a continuation of his fairness plan. Because the tribulation is going to be seven years of the worst time in human history. Billions will die. I shared last week that you could take all the, the conflict, the war, the evil, and pull it all together, and it will fail in comparison to what happens to the tribulation. It will look, make everything look like it was some kind of elementary school playground scuffle. There will be several events that will take place to kick these things off. The tribulation starts off with a, a signing of a major treaty. Three years, three and a half years into the treaty, it's going to be broken. And then we see God's 
wrath being poured out on earth. And if you want a clear picture what this looks like, go, church, read your Bibles, Revelation chapter 6. It's pretty scary what is to come. In fact, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. He tells about the coming. He says, look at this, verse 21. He says, for then will be a great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Such, such chaos, such pain, such evil darkness is going to be happening. And as it goes on to say, the very next verse, if Jesus didn't come back, there'd be no one left. So you hear those things, and you think, Rich, how can that be part of God's fairness plan? It's going to be dark. People are going to die. There's going to be all sorts of, yeah. How can you say it's going to be part of his fairness plan? Now, before you think I'm insensitive, just want to throw that out there. Um, how do we look at the word fairness? See, we can't take our definition, our understanding, our perspective of what it means to be fair or unfair and place it on the standards of God and try to make it fit. Because we all have our own understanding of what it means to be fair. In fact, there's a good chance that many of us in this room have uttered these words before when you say, like, uh, they got what was coming to them. Or maybe it was something like a nature of, well, they got what they deserved. Somebody ever said that before? You can raise your hand. It's all right, I have. They got what they deserved. Yeah, see, that's us defining what is fair for someone else. And the problem with that is that my definition of fair for what is fair and what is unfair is different than your definition of fair what is unfair. I guarantee there's people over here who think this item or this situation is fair, and there's people over here who think, well, no, I disagree. That is unfair. I guarantee it. We're missing all over here because we all have our level, our own understanding, our own definition of what is to be fair. In fact, let's just try this. What if I told you there was a guy that was caught speeding through town? In fact, he was driving 65 miles an hour in a 25-an-hour zone, and the cops pulled him over, and they gave him a speeding ticket. Is that fair? Yes or no? You think that would be fair, right? What if I told you that 15 minutes before this took place, the man got a call from the hospital and his son was in a very bad accident and he only had several minutes to live. There's no way they can save his life. But they said, you need to get here and say goodbye to your son. And so that's why he was driving 65 and a 25 because he wanted to get down and say goodbye to his son. Now is it fair? See, context and perspective when it comes to fair, we all differ. And some of you may still be saying, well, yeah, it is fair to get a speeding ticket. Others in the room will be like, absolutely not. I mean, his son was going to die. He needed to get to the hospital. He needed to say goodbye. He deserved to drive 65, maybe even faster. So when I say the tribulation is a continuation of God's fairness plan, well, what we need to do is take that word fair and put it back in the creator's hand. You with me? See, Pastor Dre shared 
last week in his hosting time, he was talking about this. It was a beautiful day like it is today. You can go outside and look and you can see all God's glory. Like, it's this beauty of a creation. Understanding that if there's a creation, that means there must be a creator. Kind of the idea is if there's a beautiful painting you have in your home, there must be a painter. And so you go out and you see God's creation and it's God's splendor on display. That's what we call general revelation. God revealing himself through creation to his people. Well, Paul kind of talks about that in another book called the book of Romans. And look what he says in chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. He says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, from heaven against all the godliness, godliness and wickedness of the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the God's creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so the people are without excuse. What Paul is saying is God has made himself known to all humanity through his creation. You walk outside, you see the beautiful trees, you see the birds, you see whatever makes you, there's some people look at the cows across the street like, oh, look at those cows, they're so pretty. I don't look at cows and think they're pretty, I look at cows and think of T-bone, right? So you go outside and you see all this beautiful creation. That is God on display for you. Showing what, who he is, his glory is being shined because what he created. And it says we are without excuse. He has made himself known through how he has created all things. And we are without excuse from denying him. And it gets bigger than that. In fact, it gets a little bit deeper. In chapter 3, Paul continues to write, and what he shares is even more heart-wrenching. He says that we have, we have turned our back on him. Not only is his display here, his splendor, we're without excuse. He says that we, as humanity, we have turned our back on the creator of the universe. Look at Romans 3, verse 22 and 23. He says, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, the Jews, and Gentile, all the rest of humanity. For all have sinned. For all have sinned and fall to short of, the glory, short of God's glory. Every single one of us, at some point in our lives, have turned and lived a life for ourselves. We reject God's call, and we rejected his word, we rejected him as Lord, and we've done things, and that's called sin. Scripture is very, very clear about what is sin. We're rejecting God and living for ourselves. So now, Rich, how can you say it's fair? Because, you know, well, easy. Because God has made himself known through creation. It's all out there. You're a part of it. How is it, how is part of his fairness? Because we rejected him. All. I try to get a rent, if you know me. I try to get around words. I try to get around things. I don't want to be part of certain things. It scare me. I want to pull things out of Scripture. I don't want to teach them. But I, when I look at the word all, I'm like, okay, there's got to be something else. There's got to be a, like a, a plan B, right? And I look at the word all. Guess what it means? All. Every single one of us. 
have some point turn our back on God, live for ourselves. And then he says in Romans 6, 6.23, first half, he says, the wages of our sin is death. The wages of our sin, the cost of turning our back on God is death, here and now and forever. We deserve death, but God poured out his grace. Rich, how can you, how can you say this? How can you say it's fairness plan? Because God has made himself known. He's made himself known. We have turned our back on him. And the cost of that is death. But this is where it turns around. Verse 23 goes on and says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on. God has made it known. Full well. All humanity is without excuse because of what he created outside those doors. Who you are. We have turned our back on him. We've lived for ourselves. We rejected him. He says, you deserve death. But because I love you, I'm sending my son for you. He's going to die for you. And you're going to get this thing called eternal life. That is God's grace. And grace is available for every single one of us. Grace is available. Fairness is coming. Fairness is coming. You know what's crazy? Is everybody wants to go to heaven. They may not call it heaven. They may think, well, I'm going to go to that better place. Whatever that better place is. They want to go to heaven. But a large percentage of the people don't want Jesus. And he is the only way to heaven. They want all God's grace and they want none of his fairness. They want nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with the church, but they want to go to heaven when they die. That doesn't make sense to me. Why? Because heaven is a place. Heaven is a place where where God's people reside. His children. Heaven is a place where God resides. Heaven is a place where our Savior sits right now. Heaven is a place. And friends, if you don't love God and you don't surrender to Him through Jesus Christ right now, what makes us think We belong with him later. Because he's made it plain to us. We are without excuse. We have turned our back on him. But he offered a way through Jesus Christ. The way back to him. 
He says, I don't want you to go here. I don't want you to deal with that destruction. I want to call you home to be with me. But we have to choose. Do we want to be part of his grace plan or we want to be part of his fairness plan? Ask yourself right now, if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you never prayed and surrendered, do you want Jesus to pay for your sin right now by surrendering your lives to him or do you want you to pay for yourself later for all eternity? Make a choice. God is calling you to that this morning. Will you step into his grace? Or will you deal with fairness down the road? I know what God would desire. Grace is available. Fairness is coming. What will you choose? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this morning. God, man, sometimes I read your scripture and I pray through it and I don't want to preach it because it's hard. It hurts. To stand here and say that there's a fairness plan coming and it's going to be horrible for some, breaks my heart. But then I remember your goodness, your faithfulness, that you had a plan. You're a planner. You had it from the beginning that you're going to send your son to create a pathway back to you and that we are without excuse. And I pray right now for anyone who is in this room who has never given their lives to you that you are calling them to yourself this morning. In fact, right now, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come forward. And if that is you, you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. Come forward at the end of service. Talk to our prayer team. Say, I want God's grace in my life. I don't want to come to the end and deal with the fairness of my own decisions. Come forward and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. He's waiting for you. He loved you so much that while you were still rejecting him, he died on a cross for your sin. So come and talk to our prayer team. And I think about it, the rest of us in this room who maybe who have accepted Jesus. Maybe, maybe we've been living life in God's grace. We've been taking it for advantage. Like, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. So it's okay. Maybe you understand the cost. Maybe this morning you understand what he saved you from. The tribulation is going to be a period in time of darkness, hell on earth. God loves you. He called you to be his child. You're going to be with him in, up in the air. You're going to be with him for all eternity. Maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to come forward and commit your life to Jesus. Like, I mean, I've been living for myself. I have these things in my life. Please pray for me. Come talk to our prayer team.
Grace is still present every day here for you. God, we love you. We are so thankful for your undeserving grace. I know what we deserve. And I celebrate what your word said is possible for all of us. As we walk out those doors, I pray that every single one of us will walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. We love you. We worship you in your son's name. Amen. God bless, church. Have an amazing week.